0: Good morning, beautiful friends. It's Tuesday this morning, the 9th of August, and the reason that I'm with you today and not tomorrow is because today is Women's Day, and I really felt it would be very good to be able to chat with ladies on Women's Day and to men who ever wants to listen on Women's Day and just to tell you this, ladies, we do not have to fight for women's rights because Jesus already did that. He died on the cross to set women free. And all we've got to do is to walk into the fullness of our predestined calling and be all that He's created us to be. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So, on this beautiful day, Tuesday, the 9th of of August 2022, I just want to invite Jesus to brood over every word that I speak. And I want to invite you to listen with the spirit of revelation and understanding and to walk into everything that you've been created to be in the powerful name of Jesus. Father God, I commit this meeting to you today. I thank you for the privilege of being able to share your words so openly, to be able to meet people's needs, to be able to teach them who you are and how good you are and how wonderful you are, to be able to help them to encounter you in a new way. And I pray for a spirit of revelation today. That will set people free, both men and women, to allow every single boy and every single girl to walk in the fullness of their predestined calling and identity so that they can be everything God created them to be. I thank you that prejudice, that religious spirits, that political spirits may not interfere in anything that I'm speaking today. And I just thank you for revelation that eyes will be opened, that ears will hear, and that Jesus Christ, you will be glorified in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you know what, friends? Um, I was praying last year and just really praying into this new season in God and for the church to rise up and take her place and for people to be who God created them to be. And I felt God say this. The last Adam is coming. He's coming back for his bride without spot or or wrinkle. And he cannot come back until his Eve has risen up and taken her rightful place. And I said, God, what are you saying? And so I looked up the name Eve. And Eve means Shavah. And that means life, living, life giver. It means to birth life, to tell and to declare, to show and to make known, to breathe. And so everything about the name Eve is about one that's a life giver and one that has to declare and to show and to tell and to release breath. You know, I love it when Adam saw Eve. He saw her and he went, whoa, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. He could not believe his eyes. She stole his breath away. And I want to tell you, friends, that's exactly what God is saying. He's saying, "Woman, this world needs you to take their breath away again and to be the Eve that I'm coming back for. And, you know, ladies, I've often said to you that she must have had some flesh. Otherwise, he wouldn't have commented on it. And he was absolutely mesmerized by her beauty as God took her out of his side and placed her right next to him. And he was absolutely absolutely in awe at this incredibly beautiful woman that had been part of him but was now standing next to him to complete the fullness of what God created them to be. And you know, in Genesis 1 verse 27 and 28, it says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them and he blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue, and rule. Friends, the commission to rule, to take authority, to walk in authority, to take possession, to establish, to change atmospheres, to release peace, to release authority, and to be a, a son of God in the fullness of our identity was commissioned on men and women. But at no point in time did god ever give anyone permission to rule dominate or control another person that government that rulership that authority was over creation friends we were established men and women to walk in authority over creation but then we know that the fall of adam and eve came And after they fell and they did not take responsibility, Eve, neither Adam or Eve took responsibility for what they had done. I do believe if they did, God's response to them would have been different. But they didn't. And because of that, they placed themselves under a curse. Now, listen to the curse. Genesis 3, verse 15 to 16. God said, I place hostility, which is hatred, enmity, and antagonism between you, Satan, and the woman. I want to tell you, friends, Satan hates women. He absolutely hates them. And you know why? Because it's part of the curse. And the other thing is that they are discerning. They can recognize him. They can see him. They can pick up his ploys. They know when he's operating. And he hates that. So he's got to try and destroy them. It says between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. So there has been war, enmity from that day onwards between Satan and woman. And that is why women have such a poor self-image. And that is why they believe the deceiver that comes and tells them they're no good, they're terrible, they're awful, they're, they're horrible. And not only that, he stirred up other demons against women as well. And if he can crush a woman and make her continuously feel not good enough, second grade, and if she's got to always prove herself, he's won. Then he said this and he said to the woman, I'll greatly increase your pain and your conception. In pain, you will bring forth your children. And then he said to the man, your desire, he said to the woman, your desire will be for your husband and he will dominate you. He will have dominion over you. He will govern you and he will have power over you. And so we see that with a curse, something happened to creation that God never, ever put in place in the beginning. Satan hates you, woman, whether you're a little girl or an old lady, he hates you. And because he hates you, he's going to continuously keep you crippled through the strongholds in your own mind so that you cannot be who God created you to be. The next thing is that you're going to consider your femininity, your womanhood, and your very birthing ability, which is the very word Eve, as a curse. No matter so so many women are killing their children. And then the next thing is, he said men would dominate women. That's part of the curse, friends. Under the curse, a a wife would be dominated by her husband. He would be controlled by her. He would own her. The man, it said, would end up working by their own sweat. It said that they would end up striving to try and make ends meet. And that's the curse on men, which as you go on reading 15, 16 and 17, you will see that. But Satan took advantage of that curse, friends. And through religious spirits, religion, and political spirits, governments in countries, he has placed women under men, plural. When the curse is a wife will be dominated by her husband, not by men, by her husband. The only one that would dominate her would be her husband. No other man's got the right to control her. But Satan took it a step further because he hates you, remember? And so he put women in a position where they were dominated by men. So men in general started dominating women, started looking down on women, started having power over women and treated them like a possession. You know, I've traveled quite intensively into into the East and into the Middle East and men are still dominating women and controlling them wherever you go. Women are seen as inferior to men. There are some places where they still walk behind the men, just like they did in the days of, God, of, of when Jesus came. They are seen as second grade. They are seen as possessions where they are literally bought and sold. Friends, this is still happening today. Today, little girls and women and wives are being bought and sold like possessions to whosoever pays the best price. Often they are seen as an object of pleasure. You just have to look at the um, the, the way pornography is operating and, and how many prostitutes there are on the street and how many women are selling their souls and their bodies just to be able to make ends meet and how many women are sold for pleasure and how many women are trafficked without having any choice of will because men see women as an object of pleasure and not as something that is a treasure that was created by God. That's the curse, friends. That's what Satan did to women. He made them second grade. He made them inferior. He made them believe that they were not intellectually at the same level. There are many, many places where women are not allowed to be educated. Even today, they are not allowed to be educated because they are lower grade. But that has never, ever, ever been God, friends. Never, God created man and woman in his image and likeness. He put them right next to each other. He said, I am commissioning both of you together to multiply, to be fruitful and to rule. It was a co-laboring. He took Eve out of his side to stand next to him. And together they had all authority to be able to establish Ephesians 5 verse 21 says, submit one to another. The commission to submit has always been to everybody. You see, friends, we're not called to rule each other. No one's got permission to rule you. When Jesus came and he broke the curse, he broke that that control and domination that was brought in through sin. So what are we meant to do? We're meant to honor each other, see the things in each other that are honorable, respect each other, have recognition for the treasure that you are in the eyes of God, and then submit to one another as to the Lord. That's what the Bible says. If you're in submission to me, you will submit to one another. No one can make you be submissive because making you be submissive is domination and domination is demonic, but so is manipulation demonic. And because of domination and because of control, so many women have learned to manipulate. Those are two demonic forces of control that the enemy has put in place that people are living under. Friends, God hates a manipulator somebody that gets what they want by seduction, by a a victim spirit, and by making believe that they cannot do things. Poor little me. I'm just a little victim. And I will get you to feel sorry for me until I get what I want. God hates that because it's demonic. But he hates domination, control, lording over people because that's demonic. No one has been given that permission. No one. And if you place yourself under that, you've chosen that. No one can make you do that. And if you have chosen to be subservient, which means to be forced to do things you don't want to, you've done it by choice. Because God's never asked us that. He said, be submissive, which means I respect you, I honor you. We're both bringing forward ideas and thoughts and plans. Let's see how we can bring them together and how we can submit one to each other so that there's no chaos in the kingdom of God. And God said to women, submit to your husband, not to men, your husband. Why? So that there's order in the home. And that doesn't mean to say you submit to him and everything. It means you come together, you find the best solution, and then you submit. It says in verse 21, submit one to another. Wife, submit to your husband. So that there's always order. There's always peace in the home. God is a God of peace. Jesus came to break the curses, friends. It says in Galatians 3 verse 10, Christ has redeemed, pay the price, for the curse of the law that it was, has been made a curse for us, for it was written, curse is anyone who hangs on the tree. The day that Jesus went and he hung on that tree, friends, he took the curse of the enemy hating you. He took the curse on your very ability to bring forth new life, to take breath away, to show the glory of God. And he took away the curse of being dominated by your husband. And he took that upon himself. And as he hung there, he took every curse upon himself. So that, friends, from that second onwards, women have been set free. Jesus fought the case of women's liberation so that you never have to. Because women, you have been set free. Paul writes to the Galatians, Galatians 3 verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free male nor female for we are all one in christ that's our condition friends now the bible says in the end times god is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh listen to this acts 2 verse 16 to 18 says but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet joel and it shall come to pass that in the last days god says i will pour out my spirit upon all flesh your sons and your daughters will prophesy your young men will see dreams and your old men will have visions and on those days i will pour out my spirit on my servants both men and women and they will prophesy do you know what the word prophesy means friends it means divine revelation and prompting it means to teach men and women will teach to comfort men and women will comfort To rebuke, men and women will rebuke and to encourage each other. Friends, do you think God made a mistake when he said in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit and sons and daughters and male and female servants are going to bring the word of God, are going to teach the word of God, are going to empower people, are going to encourage people and are going to prepare people for the second coming. Do you think he made a mistake? Do you think God is confused? No, what is confused? People believing that we're still living under a curse where the enemy has got religious spirits, political spirits and government leaders agreeing with him that women have never been liberated. And I say to you today, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman, God set you free to be everything you were created to be. Not to be a second grade man, not to have to prove yourself to be better than men, but to be a first grade woman. That can do everything that God has commissioned her to do. There's not one area in your life, woman of God, that you are not allowed to operate because God commissioned men and women next to each other to do everything that is a gift from the throne room. Everything. There's nothing that you cannot do. But he doesn't want you to do that as a second grade man, trying to prove something to people full of bitterness and anger and rage and fighting. For what? For something that Jesus already did? He wanted you to be a first grade woman. And when the enemies through people tell you you can't, you just smile and walk away. And you be who God created you to be. Now I'm going to carry on When Jesus came, what was the condition of woman at that point of time? Jesus came right into the depth of woman being crushed, treated second grade, treated as objects of of pleasure that were just stuck in a corner. They were not allowed to walk next to a man in public. And as I said to you, in some areas in the East and the Middle East, it's still like that. Men were prominent and they were not allowed to walk next to them. They had to walk behind them like a little dog. They were not counted as present. If there was a meeting, they would count all the men. The women and children were not considered to be present. They didn't get counted. And so the statistics of old never represented women and children, just the men. They were not allowed to be educated. And they were definitely not allowed to be taught the law or the Torah. They were not allowed to speak to a man in a public place. They were not allowed into a public place if they were menstruating. They were considered to be unclean. So every month, ladies, no wonder there was a curse on, on the womanhood because every month when you're having your period so that you can reproduce the glory of God through your womb, you were considered unclean, locked in the house and were not allowed to be in public. No wonder they considered it such a curse and the devil really made sure that women knew that they were cursed. Jesus broke that, friends. His blood set you free. Um, women would be stoned for committing adultery. But no one said anything about the man that she was with. They would catch them, and they did catch them, in bed together, a man committing adultery with a woman. They would take the woman naked, humiliate her in shame, throw her in the street, and stone her to death. They brought a woman like that to Jesus. And they said, the law says we must stone her to death. And Jesus looked at them. He sat down. Drew on the ground, the Bible says, then he looked at them and he says that the one here who hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. And slowly but surely they all walked away. And then he said to her, I don't condemn you, but go and don't sin again. Why, friends? Because Jesus came to set women free. He came and he said, I'm restoring the treasure, the beauty, the glory, the freshness, the holiness that I created you to be. I created you to reflect me. I created you to be something that takes their breath away. That's who I created you to be. And friends, that's what he came back to do. I just love the kindness of Jesus. Even when a woman was raped, they did not hold the man responsible. And in some places in the Middle East, it's still the same. Because they said somehow he aroused her, no matter how well covered she was, no matter how she tried to live her life in purity. If that man came and raped her, it was her fault. That's the way the enemy degraded women, friends. But Jesus came to change things and to set the captives free. He came to change the whole situation. Okay, somehow my notes have got a little bit mixed up here, so I'm just going to quickly see where we were. Okay, here we go. So Jesus came to set the woman free, and how did he do that? Well, I'm going to just tell you a few examples so that you can see not only did he say, woman, you are free. Not only did he say, I'm going to take the curse upon myself, but he lived a lifestyle of setting women free. And I'm just going to share some things with you. You know, the announcement of anything that was important was always announced to the men. Men would announce it, it would herald it so that people would know something important was happening. But when it came to Jesus, God sent Gabriel to a woman. And Mary was the first to know about the birthing of Jesus. And in Luke 1.30, we see that the angel came to her and he said, you are going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and you're going to bring forth the Messiah. And he brought the news to a woman. Now remember, women couldn't speak to men. They definitely couldn't come uh, prophesy to men. They couldn't teach men. They couldn't in any way uh, counsel men. They couldn't in any way say anything into the life of a man. And yet Jesus came and he said to a woman through angel Gabriel, you are going to bring forth the child. And then we see that when Jesus was eight days old, they took him to the temple. And Jesus allowed, baby Jesus allowed a woman by the name of Anna in Luke 2 verse 36 to 38 to prophesy over the life of Jesus Christ. A woman prophesied over the life of Jesus and then women were not allowed to speak to men at all. And yet when Jesus came to the well of a Samaritan woman, a Samarian woman, he addressed her. She couldn't believe this. He has the stranger addressing her. Why are you talking to me? You know you're not allowed to. And not only that, I am a second grade in the eyes of the Jews. And you're talking to me, a woman, a Samarian, Sumer- how can that possibly be? And he spoke to her. To break the curse of men not being able to talk, to communicate and treat women equally in John 4 verse 9. And then that woman who heard the truth of Jesus. Jesus only prophesied one thing over her. He said that I know that the man you're with is not your husband and that you've been married five times before. That's all he said. And she ran into the town. And she told everybody that she'd met Jesus, the Messiah. And he told her everything that he knew about her. She had had such an encounter with Jesus. Friends, you can't come face to face with Jesus and stay the same. She'd had such an encounter with Jesus. And she was so full of joy and full of him that she became the first evangelist that was a person that ministered out of the Jewish culture into another culture. And the first evangelist that ever ministered from out of Jesus came for the Jews. And then he released the apostles after that to go into all the world. And yet, here was a woman, the first evangelist to the the city in Samaria. And most of that city got, got converted because of her. And it said they came back to Jesus because of what she shared. But eventually, they came back to Jesus because of their own revelation. Jesus chose a woman. The next thing we see is that Jesus was financed by a woman. Now, that was another shocking thing in those days because the Jewish women didn't, weren't allowed to work or be very public in, in, in everything that they did. But the Greek women were and the, and the Roman women were. And then we look in Luke 8 verse 1b to 3 and it says that the 12 were with Jesus and certain women. Mary called Magdalene. Remember, that's the, the prostitute that got saved, mightily saved. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Harold's steward. Now, King Herod was the king at that time. And his steward, he's the, the man that was his 2IC, his wife, her name was Joanna, was one of the followers of Jesus. Now, she was a Jewish woman, but they lived in Rome because, of the, because her husband worked for Herod, And so they were VIP people. She had money because she lived according to the Roman culture. She became a supporter to provide the finances so Jesus could have his ministry. Susanna and many others which ministered unto him um, of their own personal resources. So here we had Mary Magdalene. We had Joanna. We had Susanna and his mother was also among those women. And these women paid for Jesus' ministry. How amazing is that, friends? He received finances from women in a time where that was an absolute taboo. That did not happen. Then we see the woman with the issue of blood. And what was so incredible about this, remember, women were not allowed in public if they were menstruating. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She had been locked out of the city for 12 years. And she heard about Jesus. And she thought, if I can just meet him, if I can just touch him, maybe I can be healed. I've been to so many doctors, nothing has happened. And she went in among the people. Now, she, because of that, she could have been shunned. She could have been so powerfully... um. Um, rebuked or punished because it was such a no-no. She touched Jesus with unclean hands because she was bleeding. And Jesus turned around and he said, who touched me? And he healed her friends. He touched her and he healed her. And he says, your faith will make you whole. He did not reject her. He did not cast her away. He didn't remind her that she's not allowed to do that. He healed her. He broke the curse of being unclean off woman, through a woman that had spent over a decade being locked away as being unclean. How kind, how kind is our Jesus? And then I love this story. Women were not allowed to be taught in the Torah. They were not allowed to be educated. Um, they were not allowed to sit at the feet of a rabbi. Because only the men were allowed to do that. They would go and sit at the feet of the rabbi, and the rabbi would teach them. And other people could stand on the sides and listen, but they were not allowed to be taught. And we know that in Bethany, there was two sisters, Martha and Mary, and their brother's name was Lazarus. And they became friends of Jesus. And Jesus went to their house to visit them. And the twelve gathered to sit at his feet to be taught and educated. And Mary went and sat at his feet. And Martha was highly offended. And I want to say this to you, friends. So often when a woman gets a revelation that she's got freedom and she can be everything that she was created to be, other women get offended. And other women try and keep her into the curse so that she cannot be who God created her to be. It's not only men, it's not only demons, but sometimes it's women that try and put us back into the curse. And God was so, um, she was so offended by that and she said, um, how can this possibly be? And Jesus came and he sat at the feet. So Mary came and sat at the feet of Jesus. And Martha was offended. It says in Luke 10, verse 39 to 42, Martha had a sister named Mary who sat down at Jesus' feet, listening to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? And that's so often, you know what, look what she's doing, and look what poor than me, what I've got to do, this is terrible. I can't have that liberty and freedom because I believe the lie, so therefore she can't have it either. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or oh, indeed, only one thing is needed. And friends, that is such a typical picture. So many women are be busy, so worried about so many things in life. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got. They feel responsible for everybody. They feel they've got to solve everybody's problems. They feel that they've got to be the savior to everybody. Their mind is completely perturbed and chaotic and confused because there's just such a weight on their shoulders. And Jesus says, you are worried about so many things when only one thing is needed. What is the one thing needed, friends, to sit at the feet of Jesus and to be taught by Jesus and to seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and know that all things will be added unto you. And Jesus said this, and Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Friends, Martha was offended because Mary refused to be stressed out And worried and sweat the small things. Mary refused to be caught up in that which was mundane and ordinary because she saw the moment where she could receive something, where she could be empowered, where she could come into a greater depth of glory, and she was prepared to lay this time aside to be at the feet of the lover of her soul. And when Martha went with her pity party and complained about it, Jesus says, only one thing is needed. Why don't you, Martha, come sit at my feet? Why don't you, Martha, come and learn from me instead of worrying about insignificant things that have no eternal value? This will not be taken from Mary because she's chosen what is right. And I want to say to you ladies, Don't you be the stumbling block that stops other women from walking into their liberty and their freedom just because you don't understand it, just because you don't have the courage, just because you are overwhelmed with worldly worries. And they are overwhelmed with desiring more of Jesus. Don't you be the one that stops them. You decide. You choose. You can choose the worries of this world or you can choose the lover of your soul. But don't you dare judge them because they've chosen the one thing that is good. They've chosen Jesus. Now, this is the other thing that I absolutely love. You know, every king and every priest was always anointed. Samuel anointed Saul and David. We see that every time there was a priest, it says in in, Psalm 133 that they poured the oil of Aaron and it poured off him and it poured off his beard because he was anointed high priest every priest and king had to be anointed to take that position and they would pour the oil over their head and it would run down their beard and then they would massage it into their tummy because it would be the whole thing of being ordained and being anointed and that would symbolize that that's what the oil symbolized and every priest and king was anointed by a high priest that would come and anoint them we see samuel went to anoint David, and he went to anoint Saul. And we see right throughout the the Bible how there was always a high priest position in the order of God to go and anoint the next king and the next priest. Jesus is our high priest. It says that in Hebrews 3 verse 1 and Hebrews 4 verse 14. And he is the king of kings. Revelation 17 verse 14. And yet nobody anointed him. And then a woman came, and she took an alabaster jar, which they say was a year's worth of wages, very expensive perfume. And she had a revelation that this man was incredible. And she took this very expensive jar of oil perfume, and she smashed it, and she poured it all over Jesus. And the perfume of her, the smell of her perfume infiltrated everywhere as she anointed Jesus, the King of Christ, the King of Kings, and the high priest for eternity. Jesus was anointed by a woman, friends. Can you understand how incredibly Jesus set woman free? It says in Matthew 26 verse 7 and verse 13, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume and poured it on his head while he sat at the table why are you bothering the woman she has done uh, then the disciples came and wanted to remove her and he said why are you bothering the woman she has done a beautiful thing they did not realize what she had just done he was about to be crucified and she anointed him king of kings she anointed him a high priest Wherever this gospel is proclaimed throughout the whole world, what she has done will always be told as a memorial to her. Friends, Jesus allowed the woman to anoint him because he had to be anointed, because he was about to become the king of kings and every king had to be anointed. And he allowed a woman to do that. And not only that, he said she will always be remembered. It will always be remembered that a woman anointed me, the king of kings and the high priest. A woman anointed me. She will never be forgotten. Wherever the gospel goes, that message will be brought. Why, friends? Because he came to set the woman free. He came to break every single thing that was in bondage over a woman. And he fought for our woman rights, friends. You don't have to fight for it. He already did. It says in Luke 7 verse 46, he said to the Pharisees, you, the high priests, you did not anoint my head, but this woman anointed me. Luke 7 verse 46, you were the ones that should have, you couldn't recognize me, you didn't even hear what the father was telling you, you didn't do it, but this woman anointed me how beautiful is that friends how powerful is that and it will never be forgotten while the gospel is being preached while there is power in the gospel the power of Jesus being anointed by a woman will go right there with it because he came to set them free and then the announcement of the resurrection remember women were not allowed to give men messages they weren't allowed to talk to men they weren't allowed to teach men they weren't allowed to instruct men and yet Mary Magdalene was the one that Jesus said, go and tell the other disciples that I have raised, I'm raised from the dead, I'm alive. And we read about it in Matthew 26, verse 7, Mark 16, verse 9 to 11, and John 20, verse 17. And she ran to them and she said, Jesus is alive, he's alive, he's risen. And it said they did not listen to her. Why not? Because the Lord said, don't listen to a woman. And they ran past her and they went and saw for themselves. But Jesus chose to announce his resurrection to a woman. Now we know that Jesus drew to himself 12 apostles because 12 is the number of the 12 tribes and it's very symbolic to fulfill the prophetic picture of the, of the Bible. But there were many other apostles, those weren't the only ones, but those are the ones that we read the most about and we get the most information about because those are the main ones that he called unto himself, chose unto himself. A rabbi always chose people that he would train up and impart into so that they could carry on the work and he chose the 12, but he also chose the 70. Some Bibles say the 72. And so they weren't the only ones chosen. There were others chosen. And in the 70 or 72, there were men and women that were chosen. And out of those, he rose up other apostles. It says in 1 Corinthians, um, in Luke 10, verse 1 to 20, it talks about him sending out the others. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47, it said the resurrected Christ was seen by Peter and the 12th. So now we know that Peter and the apostles all saw jesus resurrection friends that tells me that judas saw it as well no wonder judas ran and killed himself because jesus was alive and you know the tragedy is that if he went to jesus and he just repented the merciful incredible god that we serve would have forgiven him but he chose to kill himself first peter and the 12 saw the resurrected christ And then it says, then 500 people at once saw the resurrected Christ. And then it says, and James, Jesus' half-brother, and the other apostles saw the resurrected Christ. So friends, when Jesus rose from the dead, there were the 12 apostles. But James, his brother, and Jude were also apostles. They weren't part of the original 12, but they were also established as apostles by the time that Jesus was resurrected. And there were others. And it's really important for us to see that because out of all the people that he gathered close to himself, he appointed and anointed and delegated others to be able to do the work. But the 12 were the main ones that we read about because those are the ones that fulfilled the prophetic destiny of the 12 tribes. Now, Paul was converted between four and seven years after Jesus was crucified. So Paul knew about Jesus. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He must probably met Jesus. He must probably sat listening to his teachings. He knew all about Jesus. And that's why he was so angry and tried so hard to kill anyone that was following Jesus. And in those few years, some say four, some say seven. So let's say five for the sake of somewhere in between. And in those five years after Jesus' resurrection, he killed and destroyed as many born-again spirit-filled Christians as he could. And then he got radically saved. And after he got radically saved, he became the most powerful apostle. And I really do believe that he's the one that took that took um, uh, Judas' place. Because Judas went and killed himself. They chose other, uh, another apostle to take his place. But you hear very little about him. But God chose Paul. And he's the most powerful of the other apostles. So it was the 11 plus Paul. That we see about, and he wrote most of the New Testament, and he wrote most of the stuff about Jesus in the New Testament, and he wrote almost everything about New Testament prophets. And so his part was incredibly powerful as an apostle. It says in Romans 16, verse 17 um, Greet Andronicus and Junior, my fellow Jew, who are in prison with me, and are prominent among the apostles. So just a very few years after Jesus rose again, Paul starts working with some of the other apostles and here he mentions two of them that ended up in prison with him and that was Adronicus and Junia. Now Junia is a Latin name for a Jewish woman. Now when we look at the way that the Jews were in those days some of them were Roman citizens because they were born in a Roman city and they could get a Roman citizenship and if they had Roman citizenship they had a Roman name but they were Jewish so Paul came from Tarsus, and he was a Roman citizen. And he had a Roman name, and his Roman name was Paul. But he was a Jew, and his Jewish name was Saul. And it says in Acts um, thirteen verse nine that to some he was known as Paul, and to others it was Saul. He didn't have a name change, like some people preach. He was Paul to the to the um, to the Latin to the Romans, and he was Saul to the Jews because he was a Roman citizen. Now, if you have a look at Joanna who was one of the prominent women that financed Jesus and her husband was in the courts of Herod, she was also a Roman citizen but a Jew and her Jewish name was Joanna. But many believe when Paul is talking here about Junia, which is a Latin name and he calls her a Jewish woman, he's talking about Joanna because (coughs) Junia, excuse me, Excuse me. Because Junia is a Latin female name, but she was a Jew, which meant she had a Jewish name as well. She was already in the ministry, Paul said, before me. So she was already appointed under Jesus. She was one of those apostles that Jesus came to that I read to you just now. That were in place (coughs) excuse me and if you look at the connection between her being a Roman in Rome but a Jew between Jonah Joanna who was her husband was in the courts of Herod but she was a Jew who was following Jesus everywhere? When you realise that Paul said she was an apostle before me, excuse me, please. <coughs> then we see the picture coming together. So here's this woman that followed Jesus everywhere, that financed him, that was paying into him. Her husband was a very high standing in the in the in the Roman courts. And here she became an apostle in her own right. And Paul commends her and says she was there before I was. And now she's in prison with me. And she's been prominent among the apostles. And so we see a woman that Jesus rose up as an apostle who worked with Paul at a later time. And every single one of these ladies were recorded... And everything they did was recorded, never to be forgotten. And Jesus commended them for making good choices. And so here we see in prison, these two powerful, prominent apostles, one of them being a woman. Now, the woman that ministered with Paul, because what am I showing you, friends? Jesus came to set women free. And every single law that was against women, he smashed it. And not only them, for the next 200 years, up until 300, up until... Um, the emperor constantine established the pagan church the roman the, the state church which was christianity and paganism and he fused it up until then women and men both operated there were prophets there were prophetesses philip's daughter had four prophetesses four daughters that were prophets that were operating and ministering there were so many women all operating in every sphere of life in the fullness of their destiny they were set free and they carried on ministering until the pagan state church took away women's rights. And that's where the confusion came in, friends. They tried to put them back under the box that Jesus had set them free from. Now, I'm going to just mention a few women that ministered with Paul. We meet Lydia. Lydia was a church leader. It talks about Acts 16, verse 14 to 15 and 20. She came from Tyatara, and um she they she met uh, paul and and the team on the banks of the river she got radically saved she invited them into their home and every single time that he came to philippi he went and ministered in her church in the church that she'd started in her home and she was a church leader in philippi that paul and silas used to visit and you can read about that in act 16 phoebe was a deacon and uh, Romans 16 verse 1 to 2, it says, I recommend to you my sister Phoebe, a deacon in the church which is at Sencria, welcome her in the Lord as is a, a, appropriate for saints and provide her with anything she may need for, um, for she has assisted many people, including me. And so here we see a deacon whose name was Phoebe and Paul commends her. Then there was Priscilla and Aquila now priscilla and aquila was introduced to us as aquila and priscilla just like barnabas and paul were first introduced barnabas went to fetch paul but according to the writings of the greek And what they used to do is that whenever there was a primary gift or somebody that was more powerful in their anointing, they would be mentioned first. So you see Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, and then all of a sudden it was Paul and Barnabas. And from that moment onwards, Paul was always mentioned first because he was the primary gift. He was the one that carried the greater authority. And exactly the same happened with Aquila and Priscilla. We get introduced to Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife team. Paul worked with them. They were tent makers together, Paul and the two of them were tent makers. Acts 18 verse 2, verse uh, chapter 2, sorry, Acts 18 verse 2. They traveled with Paul, Acts 18 verse 18, together together. Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollo, who was another apostle, in Acts 18 verse 26, and they ran a home church, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 19. But the prominent gift was Priscilla. She was the teacher. She was the one anointed. She was the one appointed. And Aquila worked next to her in support of her. And they ran this home church. And Paul mentions them very often because they were very closely related. And so here we see a woman, was a teacher of the word of God and Paul mentions them many times through scripture but specifically once again in Romans 16 and then there was Mary that said she labored very hard for the gospel greet Mary and this is Romans 16 verse 6 and then verse 7 it says and Andronicus and Junior my fellow Jews who are in prison with me and that's going back to what I've just told you about. That was verse seven, Romans sixteen, verse seven. They are prominent among the apostles, and then we see um, in Romans sixteen, verse twelve, it says, "Greet," Terena and, uh, well, sorry, let me say that again. Greet, Tryphena, and Tryphosa, who labored hard in the Lord, and greet Persis, who labored much for our Lord. So here we see three women greet them. They have poured their lives into the ministry of the Lord. Greet them and acknowledge them because they are special to me. And then in Romans 16 verse 15, it says, greet Philologos and Julia, Nereus and his sister, Olympus and all the saints which are with them because they have been working with me. And so here we see Paul and his ministry. That's raised up all these people, both men and women, to do the work of the gospel. And then he says in Romans sixteen sixteen, Greet one another with a holy kiss. The church of Christ greets you. And so, friends, we see that not only did Jesus set women free, not only did he empower them, not only did he sent them out and commission them and equip them, but he released them into the fullness of, of all the gifts that are written in the Bible. The Bible says in in 1 Corinthians 12 that we are not to be ignorant about spiritual gifts and that there are gifts that come from the Holy Spirit and that there are gifts of service or works. And when it talks about they worked or they labored, it's talking about a fivefold ministry because the gifts of service are for Jesus, which is the Ephesians 4 verse 10 onwards, ministry, which is the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, and the pastor. And wherever he says they, they labored or they served, it's talking about the fivefold gifts. When it's talking about operating the gifts of the Spirit, it's talking about the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then it talks about the workings of God. So 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1 says, do not be ignorant about spiritual gifts they are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There's different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. So all the gifts that come from the Trinity are available to everybody. Jesus showed that. Paul showed that and, and who he was working with. They set woman free to be everything you were created to be. Now, um, the next one I just want to mention to you is... John the Apostle John and we know that that was Jesus's cousin and that was the one that put his head on his chest now he wrote in writes in 2 John verse 1 the elder to the elected lady and that means the chosen lady a Christian woman to whom the second epistle of John was written to the elder the elected lady and her children her offspring her pupils her disciples who are love and truth, and not only are, but also all they that have known the truth. So Paul acknowledges the elder in the church and says, you're a woman. So friends, we see deacons, we see elders, we see teachers, we see apostles, we see prophets, we see every single sphere of anointing being released on women from Jesus right through until the enemy came and tried to steal that away again and when he tried to steal that away he tried to make people believe that women were never ever chosen and that came in through the pagan church and unfortunately I told you the enemy has jumped on the bandwagon and not only did it say a woman will be dominated by her man under the curse but he's made woman dominated by men and not only men by little boys That's what he's trying to do. And religious spirits and political spirits are trying to still crush women. And that's so crazy because Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. Now, the reason that there is such an incredible pressure on women not being allowed in ministry is because of two scriptures that Paul wrote. The one was in 1 Timothy 2 verse 11 to 12. Let a woman leave with a quiet spirit and submissively. I do not allow a woman, which means a wife, singular, to teach or to assume authority over a man, singular, she must be quiet. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 33 to 35 says, For God is, um, is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, let your women, your wives, be quiet in the church. For this is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are to co- be commanded by the Um, sorry, but they are commanded to be under obedience. Then it goes on to say, and if they learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak um, in the church. So now we've got those two scriptures. Let your wives, let your wife be quiet and let your wives be quiet. Now it's not talking about women plural. He wouldn't have said, woman, you're not allowed to do anything when he's just commended all these women for doing it. He's talking about, a wife or a one person to a husband. Now, what I want to explain to you is this that in the days when Paul came to establish the church in Corinth, Corinth was a very, very strong paganistic city. There were there was pagan worship, there was a lot of Romans and Greeks operating there, and the Roman and Greek culture was different to the Jewish culture. Women had were far more highly respected, they had far more of a voice, they were in they were involved in everything they were allowed they were um, able to be able to be part of all of society they weren't allowed to be in government but they could be in almost anything else but the biggest thing was that there was a lot of licentiousness there was a lot of lack uh, um, there was a lot of freedom sexual freedom they had the the temple prostitutes many young girls became temple prostitutes now in those days the women would wear a garment called a solus, sola est- Sorry, S-T-O-L-A-S, stolas, and men wore togas. Now, a stola was a garment that used to wrap around and be tied on the shoulders like a little tunic, and then they would wrap something like a sari around themselves, and that was a stola. And prominent woman and beautiful woman would always be adorned beautifully in a stola but the men wore togas. Now togas was some form of a tunic underneath and then they would have a cloth that sort of hung low here exposing one breast, but it was, they had a tunic underneath and they, the men wore this very loose sort of flowy toga. Now the prostitutes were not allowed to dress like the woman. They had to dress like the men. They wore togas, but they were very seductive. They were very sexual. They adorned themselves excessively. They made themselves very appealing. And they had a lot of sacred prostitutes in those days. They used to believe that if you were purified through the through the pagan temples, that you had to sleep with the temple prostitutes. And there were a lot of men temple prostitutes as well. And so a lot of the people in, in Corinth that got saved, got saved out of a licentious, wild, really worldly lifestyle and a lot of these prostitutes came into the church now they were born again they were spiritful they married into the church but they were loud they were raucous I have personally been in quite a few of the pagan temples as I've traveled east and I want to tell you in those days they were loud they were raucous the temples were disrespecting there was no reverent fear at all and it's still exactly the same today if you go into and I've been into the main golden temple in, in Yangon And you walk in there, it's chaos, it's confusion, there are bells ringing, there are people that are sitting and cuddling and kissing in one corner, there are people picnicking in another, the kids are running wild, there's somebody else worshipping here, it's just chaos. And these people came out of chaos, confusion, licentious living, where there was a a woman and a man would have separate rooms, and, and it was a known fact that the men would be having many mistresses, and they used to prefer if the woman didn't, and this was lifestyle. They came out of that and they came into the church. So a lot of what we read in Timothy, and a lot of what we read with Timothy being that he was in the church in Ephesus, and it was very similar in Ephesus, and a lot of what we read in Corinthians is not rules for women. It was for these women coming out of a very worldly lifestyle to find themselves in a new identity in Christ in the kingdom of heaven. So he addressed, addressed things like in 1 Corinthians 6 where he speaks about purity and intimacy just between a husband and a wife. And he addresses that. He addressed the thing that women weren't meant to dress like men. Why? Not because women are not allowed to wear trousers, ladies and gentlemen. That's ridiculous. In Jesus' days, nobody wore trousers. But because the prostitutes wore togas like the men. And he said, ladies, don't come in here dressing like men. That, that represents prostitution. You need to dress yourself like a woman. And don't be overly adorned and don't be seductive because that's not part of who we are. And there needs to be a reverent reverent atmosphere in the temple. You can't go shouting the way that you were shouting in the pagan temples. So if you need to learn anything... Just ask your husband quietly and he can teach you at home. Remember, the men had been taught and trained for generations. The women were only now being equipped in the Torah. So the men were far better equipped in the Torah. So he's saying to the woman coming in, Ladies, be quiet. Don't shout. This isn't a place of chaos. If you've got a question, don't shout at, What do you mean by that? I don't understand that. Just say quietly, wait. And when you get home, let your husband tell you, because he knows. He's been equipped. And so it was talking literally, about new converts coming in that had come out of paganism that had come out of chaos that had come out of licentiousness that were dressing shockingly that were exposing themselves many of them used to shave their hair in the in the pagan temples like they still do in the buddhist temples and so he would say ladies grow your hair because it's your glory not because oh you got to have long hair because somehow it's going to be an offense to the angels it's an offense to the angels when you still look like a prostitute You need to look like a woman of God. So that's what he was saying. Now, religious spirits have taken that as being a a message of silence against women. And so many women are not allowed to rise up into what God created them to be because of two scriptures taken out of context. When you look at the whole writing and you see there's just so many times where women were commended for being who they were. And so I just want to say, if you've got yourself, woman, if you're a Martha that has got yourself all knotted up about those two scriptures, just repent and come sit at Jesus' feet. And if you're a husband that's got yourself knotted up because of those two scriptures, just repent and read it in context and do some study and find out for yourself. Don't believe me. Ask Jesus. He'll show you. And we've got to be everything that we were called to be. And now God said, I've come to set women free to be everything that I created them to be. Woman, I welcome you into the fullness of your identity, predestined, chosen, called, established for a time such as this. To be at Jesus' feet, to learn everything that he has for you, and to be everything that he's created you to be, because he took it on the cross. Don't live frustrated, saying, I can't do this because you can't do it, because you don't have revelation that you can You don't have to fight any causes. When people come and say to me, you know what, I don't believe in women in ministry. I say to them, oh, that's a sad thing. I'm sorry about that. But while you're figuring that out, I'm going to keep doing what God's called me to do. You don't have anything to defend, ladies. And husbands, the most powerful thing that you can have in your home is a God-fearing woman who knows your identity and knows how to be everything that God has called her to be. Jesus took the curse upon himself so that we can live in the freedom that he created us to be in Genesis. Religion and political spirits will always rise up against you, but the battle is not yours. We do not believe the lie or the curse. Just do what you were called to do. Do not defend yourself, because the battle belongs to the Lord. And now I just want to read one last scripture to you, and this is from Matthew 10. And this is what Jesus said to the 72 or the 70 that he sent out. He says, whatever town or village you enter, he sent them out in ministry to go preach the word, to go and establish, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to do the work of the gospel. <clears throat> whatever town or village you enter, for some, uh, a search for some worthy person there and stay in his house. Until you leave. So go and look for a church or a home or go and look for a community that are worthy, that understand the full gospel and are prepared to receive you. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest in it. Release peace into that place. If it is not, let your peace return to you. Excuse me. In other words, don't leave your peace there, don't let their attitude rub off on you. You walk in there, you offer them what you've got, you bring your gifting, you are a treasure and you carry treasure. And if they don't receive you, keep your peace and walk out. Um, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or that town. Friends, I want to say to every person that knows that God has called them, and he's called all of us. We've all got a different calling. We've got a different anointing. We've got a different purpose. He commissioned you. He said, go into all the world. I've told you before, you need permission to stand at one pulpit. You don't need permission to reach the world. And be who he's created you to be. If you go into a place, if you go into a church, if you go into a home, if you go into a home group, and they don't receive you, Take your peace with you and leave. If they do receive you, let pour out the gift that you carry freely, you've been given, freely received. But if they don't receive you, number one, don't lose your peace. Don't judge them, don't criticize them, don't fall into the trap of having to defend yourself or prove anything. And number two, shake the dust off your feet of that place or of that town and keep going. Friends, Jesus will not understand one day when we say to him, other people made us not be who he's called us to be. Because he said, I lay before you life and death, you choose. And then he said, I don't want you to be subservient to anybody. I've broken the curse of domination and control. Submit to one another out of honor, respect and love. But be what I've created you to be. So beautiful ladies listening to me today. The woman's rights and the need for woman's rights has already been won. He's just looking for women that believe it and will be all that he's called them to be. Until we meet again, I love you and it's an absolute joy to speak to you. And I want to say to every single Mary that loves to sit at the feet of Jesus, he loves that. And I want to say to every woman that's prepared to break an alabaster jar, to pour over the lover of her soul. He will never forget what you've done. And I want to say to everybody else, serving Jesus is the most exciting thing in this world. You've got nothing to prove. You've got nothing to lose. And all of God's army is fighting your cause. Until we meet again, goodbye.